Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 160 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jewel Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. This is episode 251 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in this episode we provide an introduction to our upcoming trip on the Western Australian Cape to Cape Trek. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. This is the first in a planned series of four podcast episodes, in addition to a full write-up to be released over the coming weeks on our upcoming trip on the Western Australian Cape to Cape Trek. In this episode, we set the scene for our upcoming trip and provide some background on what we expect our experience to be. First up, let's just look at some logistics in relation to this trail. As the name suggests, this walk travels between two capes on the Western Australian coastline. Cape Naturalist in the north and Cape Lewin in the far south. So depending on which direction you travel, uh, one of those two capes is going to be your uh, destination point. And in fact, it could almost be called the light to light walk because you're essentially walking between the lighthouses on those two capes. I think there's another one called that, isn't there? Yeah, well, there is, <laughs> there, 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 there is and that's in, that's in uh, New South Wales. So maybe that's why they've called it the, the Cape to Cape walk. Now, distance-wise, I've seen a number of different distances attributed to this walk, and it seems to be somewhere between around about the 123-kilometre to around about the 135-kilometre distance. So we'll soon find out exactly what that's supposed to be once we actually do the walk. It's classed as a Grade 4 walk, and given the distance, that's not unreasonable. And looking at the walk, it's not a... I won't class this as a hill walk. Yes, there are undulations, uh, yes, there is um, ups and down on this trail, but it's not like you're walking through the Australian Alps. So there's not a huge gradient difference between this track uh, as you go. And I think in all honesty, it's probably at best around about 100 metres, maybe 150 metres. So it's it's not going to be a physically demanding walk in relation to going up and down hill. However, having said that, there is beach walking and sand walking involved and that will create a bit more exertion on the walk. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it, it's which torture do you wish for, I think, is probably <laughs> the question, isn't it? And it's interesting, just having some comments made from a few people who live in Western Australia and have done this walk, they talk about the sand walking and how hard it can be. I must admit I don't mind beach walking. Yes, it can slow you down depending on the type of sand, uh, but I do like walks that, that hug and, and travel along the ocean, so definitely looking forward to this one. The recommendation for this walk is between five to seven days, and we've chosen to do this in six days. Now, having said that, the uh, the first day is a fairly short day, uh, and we'll talk about distances in a moment. 
but realistically, we've we've got a bit of leeway. We're not pushed for time. In fact, most of the days are relatively comfortable with only one really long day uh, and the rest of the days being, uh, once say easy, but, but manageable. Now, we've chosen to go north to south and, you know, really your choice is north to south or south to north. And I must admit, when I first started planning this walk, uh, I had originally decided to travel from south heading back north. That's a habit that I've always tended to have because I like walking towards my final destination or walking towards home. And in this case, we're going to be flying into and out of Perth Airport. Uh, so I, I, that would have been my preference is to uh, finish north and have less of a distance traveling back to Perth on the, uh, the final day of travel. What threw that out was by the time that we actually got into Augusta, which is the southern town, uh, and got then got out to the uh, uh, the start of the walk and started walking. It was going to be reasonably late in the afternoon, and the sun sets around about five forty five six o'clock ish, uh, and that means we would have been getting into camp if not on dark. Uh, uh, dark, we would have, and this means we would have been getting into camp either in the dark or just on dark. The other issue was also that we had to deal with uh, accommodation issues. So we've decided to tack five days onto the start of Easter. And that's sort of um, a time of the year where everyone wants to travel. So in the lead up between school holidays and Easter and everything else, accommodation was going to be an issue. And in fact, the very most southern campsite uh, on this track uh, is closed at the time of this recording. Uh, due to bushfires uh, late in 2022, so it wasn't that we could do a short distance. We were we were basically put put upon to do a certain distance to try and get there, and that would have made things just a bit harder. The other thing that also we had to deal with is that some of the accommodation bookings that we've had to put in place just didn't work going south to north. Uh, again, we sort of hit uh, a lot of the main holiday areas. Uh, on the weekends during Easter, which made things a bit harder. In the planning phase of this walk, I spent probably a day and a half and almost got to the stage where I'd pulled the pin on this walk and I'd started looking at other destinations because it was going to be so hard. Uh, And it wasn't until I realised that I could actually get a direct flight from Canberra to Perth on the Thursday night rather than having to originally travel as planned on the Friday morning Uh, that it made things much easier and gave us a bit of extra leeway in the time we had. And when I looked at it, travelling north to south actually worked out for us. But again, the choice really is yours which way you go. I don't think there's any harder destination as far as potential hills or uh, issues like that, but it was more about the logistics in relation to accommodation and transport, trying to try and transport flying in from interstate. I think if you lived in Western Australia and you know you can drive somewhere or have someone drop you off, it's a lot easier. But when you've got to tack in a, a domestic airfare before and after, and particularly when Easter's concerned, we we needed to lock things in place and not you know flexible airfares weren't going to work for us. Yeah, that's right. And it did take a lot of working through. Um, you know, I think if if you're in WA, it's probably going to be a little bit easier, but. Uh, it, it's going to be a planes, trains and automobiles kind of trip. Um, so we're, we're looking forward to that. So we end up flying into Perth on the Thursday night. 
Friday, we get a train to Bunbury and then a bus to Dunsborough. Uh, and that gets this there, I think, roughly around about 1, 1.15. And then I just sort of go go to the, uh, the the local outdoor store, which apparently is around about fifty meters away from where the bus drops us <laughs> off, and pick up a gas canister, because again we we won't we can't carry gas on the plane with us. Uh, we don't have an option of picking up gas on the Thursday night, so we're going to have to do it in Dunsborough itself. And I've already organised that and and put an order in, so we just need to walk in and say, hey, this is such and such, and have we come to pick up the gas. From there, we'll actually get a we'll, – we'll be lazy. We could potentially walk out to the lighthouse, but we'll probably end up getting a taxi out there, uh, get dropped off at the, uh, the lighthouse, do a bit of touring around, and then start our walk south. And, in fact, on the first day, uh, we'll, we've got a distance of 10.3 kilometres to travel. So that's actually quite doable and gets us into our campsite uh, during the daytime without too much difficulty. The return trip is pretty much the same. We actually finished this trip up in Augusta. Uh, we stay in Augusta overnight on the last day. We get a bus and then a train back to Perth, so we're doing the reverse. That takes a bit longer. I think we've actually got a four-hour stop somewhere to, to line everything up, so we don't actually get back into Perth on that last day or on the day of travel until I think around about 5 o'clock. So it's a it's a it's a long day, even though it's only an extra 130 kilometres travelling, just because of the of how we have to link the different types of transport together. Just before we head off uh, and look at the distances, the other issue with north to south is, um, you know, do you want the sun uh, uh, on? You know, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. If we're heading south, we basically have it on the our left hand side. Uh, if you're travelling north, we have the sun on our right-hand side. Now, it's not as if we're travelling north, uh, east to west. We're basically pretty much travelling north to south. So really, it doesn't make too much of a difference in relation to the impact on the sun on this walk. Well, it's actually on the left and then on the right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Depending it, on the direction, it, it's, on both, <laughs> it's on both sides. <laughs> It is, it is. Depends on the time of the day, Tim. It is, but I mean, I think because we're virtually right on the coastline, it's going to be for most of the day, it's going to be on that uh, that left-hand side of the trail to a great extent. But well, we'll see how it goes. In all honesty, I don't think the the issue really is the sunlight. Uh, I think it really is more for us the accommodation and uh, the transport that were the issues that forced our hand on the direction we're travelling. Now, distance-wise, day one, 10.3 kilometres. Uh, we potentially could have gone another three kilometres and stayed in a holiday slash caravan park, uh, but that was booked up uh, because, again, the issue was uh, it was going to put us into uh, a weekend and everyone else has decided they were going camping that weekend. So the first campsite is a walk-in campsite only, whereas the, the one three kilometres down the road basically is you can drive in and we potentially could have booked a cabin, uh, but I think from memory we needed to book it for two nights. Uh, and, and in all honesty, I think when I, from memory there were no cabins or accommodation available in that, uh, that, that site at all. So stopping three kilometres shorter gives us the ability to, to actually tent it. And now we don't have facilities. We're going to have to go and dig holes if we want to go and use the toilet. Uh, but it's again, it's a situation where it makes it a bit easier for us. Yeah, and I think you know, if you're hiking and you want that experience, um, then you know, for me, I, I like to stay away from 
the cars and the caravans. And we pretty much are tenting this all the way, whether we're staying in a holiday park slash caravan park or at a, um, a dedicated hiking campsite cars can't get to, we are tenting it all the way. Day two was 22.8 kilometres. Day three, 18.8 kilometres. Day four, which is our big day, which is 27.4 kilometres. And again, that was one of those distances that short of camping in the middle of nowhere, which is frowned upon in Western Australia, really that's the distance we need to walk to. Uh, so that's our big day. If we start walking at around about 7.30 in the morning, an average three kilometres per hour, you know, eight or nine hours will get us there without too much difficulty. So with that one, that was a, a requirement. There's just nowhere to camp in between, is that right? Not as far as I could tell. Maybe there is, and it just wasn't obvious to me, uh, but certainly there weren't any campsites listed, there weren't any holiday parks listed, uh, and there was really uh, no no real option on that. So that's the big day. We potentially could have walked off trail uh, and gone into a town somewhere, but I prefer to stay on trail and just just uh, do that rather than have to walk off trail a couple of kilometres to pick up a small town. So that's that was our reasoning behind that one. Day five, 20 kilometres, and then day six, which takes us to Augusta, is 24 kilometres. Now, again, had we have had the ability to use that uh, campsite that had been impacted by fire, that would have made a difference to those distances. But uh, again, wasn't available and still isn't available at this point in time. So not unreasonable distances. One big day uh, or one really big day, 24 kilometres is still a good day as well. Uh, but 24 kilometres takes us to the Southern Light House, the Southern Cape. And that way we can, again, either if we feel enthusiastic, we can walk into Augusta or we'll just call a taxi and get, come and get picked up. <laughs> just depends, depends on how we feel I'm, for the day. I'm just thinking about the 12 Apostles uh, walk where Tim didn't counter, uh, count in the fact that we had three kilometres to walk to the motel to pick up the car. Um, and he got to uh, the information centre at the 12 Apostles. He had absolutely nothing left. And I had to drop my pack and walk the three kilometres to get the car to come back and pick him up. Uh, in the meantime, I think I go about 500 metres up the road carrying absolutely nothing except the keys. And I got just stormed on and, you know, pretty much washed away. Made me move faster. Um, by the time I got back, I was reasonably dry because of that. But, yes, thank you. That's all right. <laughs> Now, as far as the other logistics in relation to this track is concerned, no trail fees, uh, which is pretty typical in Western Australia. No park access fees. So whereas in Tasmania you pay a park access fee, in this case you don't. As far as dollars are concerned, the bus slash train trip from Perth to Dunsborough is just on $45 per person. Uh, and that's, as Mar that's at March 2023. And the return trip from Augusta to Perth by train and bus is $56.75. So that's the extra distance we've got to travel there, increases the price slightly. The only other expenses really are you know, obviously our transport uh, to Perth and back and our accommodation, uh, which we'd sort of booked well in advance, and also food as well. So again, that's, that's going to be an expense that has to be built in. Food's all packed and all ready to go. So you know, it's what we decide to eat if we go out for dinner along the way. Trail tread is pretty much a combination of natural trail, beach and rock walking with the occasional timber and constructed trail along the way and I'm guessing there will be some management road as well. 
And there is potentially one detour uh, because there is one uh, crossing that we may need to do, which is the cross the head of Margaret River. And this is something that's really interested me. There is no easy place to find out whether the uh, inlet at, at Margaret River there is open or closed. I've looked and looked at satellite images, but the dates don't tell me when it was. I can't find anywhere where you type in, is the river mouth at Margaret River open or closed? And there's just, that just doesn't come up as a search. So I've sent a couple of emails uh, uh, to West Australian Parks and also to one of the tourist, area, uh, tourist uh, facilities at Margaret River just to get, try and get an indication. If it is not crossable from a walking perspective, we then have a detour, which adds probably a one or two kilometres at most, but takes us inland over a bridge to skirt around and come back to the coast again. So we end up in the same point. It's just how we get there. Uh, so I'll have that answer in the next couple of days. And certainly as we, we walk our way along, I'll certainly uh, make sure I have that answer but so we know we're heading one direction or another. Yeah, and I guess even if today uh, it's clear, it's not necessarily clear tomorrow. So, you know, um, depends on weather conditions and um, rain and uh, tides and all of those sorts of things. So, you know, it's just going to be one of those things that will feel our way through. Facilities-wise, it depends on where we're staying. Um, most of the campsites will have water available and certainly the, the caravan parks, which we're staying at two of uh, over the trip, uh, will have things like showers and um, uh, and powered sites if we want to get really enthusiastic. But uh, And I think in one location I had to book a powered site. Uh, that was the base-grade site that was available. Uh, so we, you know, if we desperately need to, we can plug in our electronics, but that was just an added bonus. The hiking dedicated sites really just are plain flat ground and that's about it uh, with water as well. Uh, but otherwise there's no toilets on a lot, a lot of those sites and not expected shelters or huts like you would expect on the Bibbleman track as well. So not expecting a lot of fancy facilities as we go apart from the caravan parks. It's fuel stoves only, no fires, and we're not big fire users when we go hiking and camping anyway. Water on trail, as mentioned, is either uh, local creeks or rainwater tanks, uh, and potentially we do stop through some towns as well, so uh, we can always top up with water as we go. Mobile reception, from what I can tell, the top third of the trail is in, uh, in the northern uh, half of the trail is in reasonably good uh, service, uh, but the, the bottom two-thirds of the southern end of the trail, the phone access is a bit variable. So we'll certainly try and post as we go, but it'll be interesting to see what access we do get. Time of the year to walk is pretty much going to vary. Um, there's nothing really stopping you from walking at any time of the year. However, the heat in summertime is probably something you want to try and avoid. And the other thing with Western Australia as well is late November through till probably around about late March is bushfire season. And, if, and as I said, one of the uh, the campsites on this trail had fire damage to it, I believe, in late 2022, from what I can tell, uh, and is no longer available to be used, or at least not available to be used at the time we're doing it. So there's always potential for fires, and as it stands at the moment, the fires in that area are okay. There's no bushfires going on, uh, but again, it is something to keep an eye out for. Temperature-wise, during summer, sort of January, February, maximum minimum ranges between about 14 to 29 degrees Celsius. 
And at the time we're looking at doing this, which is late March, early uh, early April, uh, we're expecting the temperature range to be approximately uh, around about 12 degrees at night time uh, and about 25 degrees maximum during the day. And that's certainly warmer than I would have preferred. I mean, most of my time that I do hikes or we do hikes, we tend to do between about May and September, just because it's a bit cooler. Just because of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this case through here, um, this is certainly warmer than I would like. I would I would like it 10 degrees cooler during the day. Uh, so that's certainly going to impact on how fast we travel and, and how often we take breaks. Well, 25 degrees and it's, you know, it's a reasonably um, dry climate. You know, it's not a tropical climate, so the humidity shouldn't be too bad. But, you know... 25 degrees is, I think it's pretty nice. Yeah. And I think in all honesty, I'll be try, I'll be inclined to start early. I'd rather start early and finish early than start late and get the heat through the day. So uh, we'll see how we go on the days and we'll see, you know, particularly the shorter days, that won't be too difficult. Gear-wise, we're both using packs around about the 50-litre mark on this and we're actually just testing some new packs on this walk. So, uh, But volume-wise, that should be fine. We've gone through and put our food together and we always do food as a, a day pack, if you like. Uh, so we've got two people's food in, in a pack, so we'll split those uh, apart uh, when we go through and do our, our test pack in a couple of nights' time. Two-person tent uh, as opposed to a one-person tent. Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, our two-person tent is probably only three hundred grams more than our one-person tent. So, when you split up the weight between two people, it actually works out quite well. The other thing I'd mention with gear here, almost without fail, on every walk I've done over the last seven or eight years, I've always carried a puffy jacket, and I'm really tempted not to on this walk. Now, given the minimum nighttime temperature is supposed to be 12 degrees, um, I don't think I'll need a puffy jacket. I've got enough other clothing uh, with a rain jacket and uh, thermal layers that I can put those on if need be if it does cool down. So I'm likely to lose the, the puffy jacket for this walk. Not a huge bulk, I suppose, and not a huge weight, but you know, I think my sleeping bag, I'm going to be sleeping with the, the bag open most nights. Um, because, you know, this is a bag designed for sort of minus four or five. You know, if I'm getting 12 degrees, that's going to be a bit on the warm side. Yeah, my puffy jacket is going to be in my pack uh, along with my gloves and my beanie, just in case. Speaking of gloves, I won't be carrying thermal gloves, but I will be carrying fingerless sun gloves uh, because, you know, it is going to be warm, you know, using tracking poles, very easy to get sunburn on the back of the hands. So I'll be using the Lycra fingerless gloves, uh, which I normally tend to wear in the Australian Alpine areas. Scenery rise, this is a coastal walk, so uh, Western Australian coastal uh, habitat. Uh, there are some uh, sections where we do come inland slightly, but it's pretty much a coastal environment. Um not really whale season, but certainly you know, if, the, if the weather's good, I uh, expect to see some, uh, uh, hopefully some dolphins along the way. Uh, uh, I think potentially we are, we're likely to see snakes, uh, and I'd also expect to see the typical wildlife you would get in the bush in Western Australia, so wallabies and kangaroos, uh, wombats, uh, all the standard uh, marsupial life you tend to come across, uh, as well as bird life, and I do love the Western Australian uh, parrots and cockatoos. Going into this trip, um, I have been trying to get myself as fit as possible, and so has Jill. But I think I'm winning at the moment. 
Yeah, I think you probably are. Um, and yeah, and certainly for me, my last big walk was in the end of December, uh, which was the South Coast track. I'm expecting this walk to be nowhere near as difficult as that one. Uh, so <laughs> fingers crossed, <laughs> uh, and it's certainly not the change in altitude either. So I think I'm expecting it to be a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to this one. Um, I haven't got a, a a real picture in my mind. I've looked at uh, uh, some of the guidance that's available, um, but I'm still forming the the picture. Um, and you know, maybe that won't become clear until uh, we actually start the the hike. Okay, so as we're recording this podcast, it's actually the Sunday before the start of our walk. And when this podcast goes to air uh, during the next few over the next few days, we'll just be within a couple of days of, of heading off. Uh, and we are very much looking forward to this walk. It's been one of the ones on our list for a few years. Uh, and it's a chance to get back to Western Australia uh, for the first time since 2018. Um, yeah, that's right. Um I guess when you did the Bibbleman, I do. I do like the landscape um, in WA, and uh, yeah, it's always uh, uh, it's always a great joy when when you head back there. So, for those who live there, you're very lucky. One final comment I would make is we um, uh, we have pretty much uh, self sufficient on all our food, um, and uh, we can basically just keep on walking and never go near a town, but. Given that we're walking past slash through Gracetown, which is one of the really obvious locations, and the timing looks about right for a good stop for lunch, so we will certainly avail ourselves of town stops for lunch or coffees as we go. Uh, but certainly Gracetown, which is probably going to be our our main option there, I think from memory on about the third day. So I'll see how that one goes. Well, I have to say, I think we've got too much food, Tim. So um, that will be interesting. My kind of sense is. Um, we've, you know, just tipped it over again and if we take a lunch out or we have um, a lunch in a town, then we're going to finish with more food than we ex- we expected. Well, we'll see how we go because we have this, We have actually revamped our weekly food uh, carry, uh, so we certainly are starting off with less food than we would normally carry for this walk. So it'll be interesting to see how it works. Okay, that's all for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed this introduction to the Western Australian Cape to Cape Trek. And we have three more episodes to come up in this series, two on-trail episodes, as well as a expectations versus reality, where we revisit what we thought was going to be our experience and see how it actually pans out in real life. Okay, that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. Uh, and then get a train and then a bus back to uh, to Perth. A bus and then a train. Yeah. So then, sorry, we we get a train. As the name suggests, this walk travels between two capes, uh, and that is Cape Naturalist and Cape Lewin. As the name suggests, Cape to Cape track. This walk travels between Cape Lewin in the north. In the south. Fuck. <laughs> Jesus. I'll come back when you got it right. <laughs>